What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Old Time Hockey Podcast. My name is Matt Wotanik, and as always, I'm here with my boy, AJ Pottle. AJ, how we doing, buddy? Dude, I'm doing super well. I'm literally just hanging out at work. I did this one other time, worked really well, sitting in the break room post-work hours, enjoying some very sick Wi-Fi, and ready to do this podcast with you, man. Hell yeah. That's that's a nice little uh, convenience you have there because I know you're you're always in between cities and everything. So I feel like that's super, super convenient for you. Oh, dude, it's beautiful. I literally just have like, I'm looking at Trisket Thin Crisps from my girl Wanda who left them in the <laughs> office. Uh, someone left an extra microwave, dude. It's just, it's real American office space up in here. Are you basically the office US right now? We could get into that probably off podcast to the level Dude. that that's true, but I don't want to. Fair enough. I don't want to hit the listeners with anything too wild right now. Perfect. Well, dude, how was your week? Was it good? Yeah, dude, it was wicked good. Um, I actually wanted to bring up one point. I this is more just like I don't want to toot my own horn or anything like that. I um did notice that you were uh really vibing the bests, so oh I really appreciate God. how much you took my um what's aj listening to section seriously because uh it felt good it felt good dude i can't stop listening to him like every time i try to like go listen to something else like i'll be like nah, i'll go back like the first i want to say the first five songs in a row are just like bam like just so good and i just i i'll i'll get through the whole album but i do find myself just like going through those first five songs and just like yeah i'll restart it oh, <laughs> but dude, i completely get that there's they're so good and that that song uh, uh future me, me hates me still holds as the catchiest song on the planet but um yeah definitely gotta thank you again for that band because i've just been pounding it in my brain Oh, dude. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And honestly, I've been super in music mode in general. Um, I guess the only other really thing that happened for me this week was my band actually just announced we're gonna be playing a show with Dangers next month, Ooh. which is pretty sick. Um, now, I haven't like fully dove into Dangers. Like I know Dangers and I think Dangers is really good. But like people that I've been like talking to are like so excited. Like my friend Tom, that's like his favorite hardcore band. So like he was so fired up. Like they're coming from LA. They're gonna be stopping in Worcester, and we're very very stoked to play with them. That's gonna be so sick. Very cool. I'm I'm definitely on the same page as you. Have heard of them. Haven't dove into them yet. But you know now now that you're playing with them, maybe I'll I'll give them a, a better listen here. Um, did you happen to watch the U.S. Open this weekend? Dude, honestly, I didn't. I was kind of in like Father's Day mode and. I'll get into what else I was doing on Saturday um, a little bit later in the podcast, but I didn't really get to watch too much of it, but I have a feeling that you did. Dude, oh my God. I literally like, like, we didn't have like a super lazy weekend, but I watched like Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. I like was pretty, pretty much glued to the US Open. Like obviously when you watch golf, it's very easy to take a nap. Um, so we did take advantage of the, uh, of the midday naps during the earlier um you know, times in the U.S. Open, but I just got to give a huge, huge shout out to Gary Woodland right now. That performance that he put on was absolutely insane, and I've never like been so dialed into golf like as much as I was this weekend. Like I think we've talked about it previously at one point how like I'll I'll watch it here and there, and you know, I'll, I'll I don't know a couple hours here, but I won't like sit down and actually follow everything. This I don't know what got into me this weekend, but I was just locked in the 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 matchup between him and Justin Rose for the longest time was really sick. But then all of a sudden Brooks Kepka came in and he was on fire as well, and it went down right to the last hole. But I I don't know if you saw any of the highlights at all, but there was a there was a a chip in par save that Gary Woodland hit on Saturday that fired me up to like maximum limits, and then. On the last hole to secure, I mean, like he had a two-stroke uh, lead on Kepka, but so all he had to do was par it, and he just one-upped it and just did like a thirty-foot birdie, and I was just like freaking out. So like it was, it was just really, really good golf, and uh, I, I, it got me like really like motivated to get better at golf. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm well, I'll never be like a superstar golf 
golfer, but I just, I, I don't know, watching golf that entire weekend, I was just like, yo, I want to golf right now and I want to be good because I'm sick of being so shitty. Dude, no, I totally get it. Honestly, I was most impressed when I checked out the highlights with the fact that it, it just seems like um, Woodland isn't really the kind of guy that usually can close this sort of thing out. Like there were a bunch of statistics about him having like a really bad Sunday every time he's in contention. And then this time comes around and he like finally got over the hump. And like that kind of story, especially in something like golf where it's like, you need something a little extra to motivate you and watch these sorts of things sometimes. Like, that was it. That's it right there. Like, you're not sure if he's going to be able to do it. And then all of a sudden, he just actually comes through. And, uh, you know, you got to be happy for a guy that gets to do that for the first time. Absolutely. And that, that course is so tough. A lot of, a lot of good golfers were just like getting eaten up and it was like, it, I always find some enjoyment of watching professional golfers struggle. Cause I'm like, yo, I feel that I understand how frustrated you are right now, but like at the same time, seeing just like unbelievable shot after unbelievable shot is just, just hard to compare to. So yeah, I had a blast watching that this weekend. Definitely. That's awesome. So I guess um, at this point, we're going to just talk briefly about the major topics we're going to discuss on today's podcast. Uh, number one, we obviously have a brand new Stanley Cup champion, the 2019 St. Louis Blues. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt, you can talk about this a little later, but uh, your boy called it. Woo! That felt good. You sure did. Yeah. And... Other news, um, I'm going to banter for a minute about how dang difficult it is to ship and sell a drum set. And then it sounds Matt, like a nightmare. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Matt, I believe it is your turn to actually hit us with some sick tunes. So honestly, with that, um, what have you been listening to, my friend? Buddy, I'm going to throw a horseshoe in the mix right here. I don't know if that's the correct term, but I'm, I'm running with it and I'm into it. Um, I'm going to change up the Spotify breakdown a bit this week. Um, and I'm just going to break down one band. Um, but I'm I, in the process. I'm going to rank their albums from my least favorite to my most favorite. And it's one of those bands where it was actually really, really difficult for me because I love every single album and I love this band until I'm dead in the ground. Um, but with that being said, I want to break down every time I die. You are alone, you came based an extremely loved hardcore punk crazy whatever they want to do band um that's actually their exact genre if you look it up online I, i'm definitely not lying to you um but basically i just want to give you all a rundown of their records um and i don't know like i feel like i've wanted to do this for a really long time and i, I especially when you know me and you breaking out our spotify's and talking about music because I've, I've just been listening to them a, a ton this week um and i, I thought this would be really kind of cool and see what other people are listening um how their albums are ranked for them personally um but i'm just gonna start it off right here um least and i don't want to say least fair I mean, i'm literally ranking it like i i love everything they've ever put out but i just like if I'm going to listen to it, this is what I'm going to, if I'm not that, that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to say least favorite as in like, this album's bad. You know what I mean? I don't know why I had to disclaim that, but whatever. So my least favorite, it's, it's kind of fair because I didn't get into this album until a few years after um, the release. Obviously I was still pretty young when this came out, but the burial plot bidding war um, that, that goes first here as my least favorite. It's still a good listen, but like I said, um, I didn't really get into Every Time I Die until Hot Damn because, I mean, even when that album came out, I was 11. So it was one of those one of those things you like go back in the discography and listen to. Um, but yeah, that that goes here. Next is Gutter Phenomenon, and I don't. I feel like some people can agree with this one, but at the same time, I feel like I might get a little slack. Um, there's definitely some cool songs on here, obviously. Um, you know, board stiff is so sick. Um, but front to back, I find myself the least attracted to this one. I don't know like why specifically. Um, but I felt like it was necessary to put it early in the list here. Um, next actually comes last night in town. It was their second release. Um, it's early in their career, but like seriously, some important songs came from this one, like logic of crocodiles. And here's looking at you. 
two really, really sick songs and definitely um, really showed what this band was going to be throughout their career. Um, and that, those two songs, I mean, there's also like a few awesome, way more awesome songs on that album too. Um, but those two really stand out to me as important bangers for this band. Um, now this next one, I feel like I'm going to get some heat for, but this one is the big dirty. Um, and that's like the insane part about this band and, and the insane part of breaking down their albums right now, because like, saying the big dirty is like my fourth least favorite album or like my fourth favorite album. I don't know how you'd want to say that, but like, that's, it's crazy. Cause that, that, that album's flawless. Um, but like, as I keep going, I feel like this is just the best place for it. Um, next, I think X lives goes here. Um, this record came out in a weird time in my life and I just, I have a nice appreciation for it. Definitely a banger. Um, definitely some really, really good, important songs on it. Um, and then next is hot damn. Uh, could easily be my favorite, but like, you know, sitting here and thinking about it again, um, I think it's appropriate here. Um, this record was one of the first, if not the first records, like hardcore records I ever listened to at my like a young age. And it just still holds up so completely, like so, so perfectly. I, I actually was listening to it today. Um, and I was just like, dude, this is insane. This album came out 16 years ago and it's still so, so sick. Um, now this is where it gets a little, little silly here. Um, me and my best friend, Brian, we talk about this so constantly and so often, um, that new junk aesthetic is probably like, if like it could easily go as one of the best albums they ever recorded. Like, I just think that album is so good front to back. Every song is so sick. And at the same time, it's like a soft spot in my heart for it because it came out like a really like came out in 2009. So I was like, finally like starting to understand and like realize like I wasn't like 17, but like, I don't know. It's just a weird like time in my life that me and me and Brian like just started being really good friends. Um, And I just kind of tie that in with him and our friendship and everything. And like as stupid as it sounds, but like playing halo on Xbox, like we always listen to that. So whatever maybe maybe it's just a nostalgic thing for me but i that record still holds super true um now these two right here are are another little silly part low teens i think is a close second for my favorite um every song on here is just super sick you know you kind of get a um, more personable lyrics um and writing style from keith buckley which is which is huge because you know the majority of the writing and the, the the career is him just writing. He never really got too super personable um, with, with the lyrics and everything. And this was like the first time you really got to see under his skin, um, which was really, really, really cool. Um, but from parts unknown, man, that takes the absolute cake for me. This record is always in my heavy rotation. I listen to it at the gym on repeat whenever I'm there. Uh, it never gets old. And I just, I owe a lot to that record. And seriously, I'm just super thankful that it exists. So at the end, to wrap this up, Every Time I Die Forever. Um, and if you like Every Time I Die, which I'm sure you all do as your listeners, um, definitely uh, give me some feedback on my list here. I'd like to hear other people's orders of the albums. And AJ, if you even want to, chime in a little bit i don't know how big of a fan you are of the band but i just uh i love every time i die and i'll always will dude i'm gonna really disappoint you and say i don't really know much about every time i die i'm sorry i'm, I'm i know <laughs> this is gonna be a role reversal right here but this is a band i never really listened to oh my goodness i i want i, I don't even know how that's possible it's probably hot possible because like in Buffalo, like it's just like I feel like if you if it's if you don't listen every time I die, like I don't even know how you're from Buffalo kind of deal. Like it's one of those things. It's like the same thing with like the Goo Goo Dolls. Like if you don't know who the Goo Goo Dolls are and you're from Buffalo, like what are you doing with your life? It's like every time I die is basically the same like caliber at this point in their career. So I don't know, man. I, it definitely disappoints me. Um, and I really don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> Dude, honestly, if you want, I can really, really expand on the Goo Goo Dolls, that, if that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we can say that for a different day. Um, but like, Goo Goo Dolls are sick too. <laughs> yeah, Goo Goo Dolls are pretty sick. No, but I mean, honestly, I've definitely listened to Every Time I Die. It's just not a band that like, I mean, I could never rank their albums just because I haven't, I've only listened to them like piecemeal. 
it's it's all really good. It's definitely very impressive. I mean, there's a reason the band is who they are. But uh, no, it's just honestly, this list kind of motivates me to actually dive in and listen to them a little more. So I'll probably honestly just take your recommendation and go right down the list from there. I, I will say this is not the first time either of us have disappointed each other, but this uh, I'm pretty disappointed, buddy, but it's OK. This just gives you something to listen to and gives you, uh, you know, like the motivation that you said. And I actually really look forward to hearing your feedback. So I will hold you to that. No pressure. Hey, no pressure. <laughs> it's you honestly just sounded like a boyfriend who just took his girlfriend to like, like a Bruins game and like she didn't have like the time of her life. And you're just like, <laughs> was it good? Like, did you have fun? Like, like, did you see that sick goal? Bergeron? <laughs> like, that's like literally how I feel right now, but I love it. So, Anyways, I think it's probably time to move on into uh, our banter points. And I have two. One is probably bigger than the other. Uh, my main banter point is I sold my drum set, which is very sick. I think I've talked about on this podcast in the past that I had just bought a new drum set, which was a Gretsch USA Custom. But I had a Gretsch Renown Maple that I really, really wanted to sell because it was completely irrelevant to me now that I had the right sizes and the sort of like upgraded version of it. Like it, it the Renown's like kind of like a mid-level Gretsch for anyone that plays um, that particular brand of drum. But obviously like USA Customs are pretty high end. But I mean, like it was still a very sick set and something that I really, really wanted to get into someone's hands. And finally got a buyer from California uh, dug into it a little deeper, and it looks like it's actually just someone in California that is going to ship this overseas elsewhere. But at the end of the day, the drum set is sold, and I don't. it's really, really sick. I mean, it was a big drum set, too. It was very, very hard to pack up. I had a 10-inch rack tom, a 12-inch rack tom, 14-inch, and 16-inch floor toms, and then an 18 by 22 bass drum. So, I mean, like, it literally did everything that you want a drum set to do. Um the moral of the story, why I want to tell you the dimensions, is because, obviously, I had to pack that sucker. Dude, packing a five-piece drum set is miserable. Oh, my gosh. I will forever only do local pickup now. And I don't even care if I have to drop it down so much. Because, literally, let me talk to you about, like, the amount of payment that it took to even ship this dang thing. So... I listed the kit for like 1100 sold it for 900 then got another 200 for shipping. So I've got like $1,100 of play here. Went to the UPS store for boxes, casual 60 bucks later, and this is just boxes. Then another 200 to ship one of the two boxes and 100 to ship the other. So I'm literally down like 400 bucks from my 1100 bucks, literally right off the rip, dude. And then eBay takes $100, and then like I get like, a service charge of another $50. Dude, literally, I could have sold this drum set for like $600 and probably made more money. Like, I don't know if I did anything wrong, but like, dude, I was talking to even, like, I don't know, obviously we've talked about the band Foreign Tongues on this podcast. Joey from that Joey. band. Yeah, he runs a really, really sick vintage drum shop, and I just want to actually shout it out, Wooden Weather Drum Shop. Um, he gave me all sorts of tips on like, Make sure you print the labels beforehand. Make sure you um, like nest drums inside of each other. Make sure you use cardboard to make sure that it doesn't like fall on top of itself. So I did literally everything he said. I mean, it's just one of those things where like shipping drum sets is not cheap. Like I could have, I probably should have asked for even more money for shipping than the $200 I did. And I, honestly, it's like sort of a lesson learned. Um, but also, I am definitely happy that the drum set was sold. Um, I still made money on it. Still really feel happy about the fact that it's going to eventually get to a new home. But yeah, honestly, that ruined my Saturday. I literally spent the entire day with my girlfriend's help packing that drum set up. Absolutely wild. Absolutely very eye-opening experience, to say the least. Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. I can. I, I remember, what did I ship that was a pain in the ass? 
I can't remember what I shipped, but it was all, it was like very low scale to compare to what you just told, like explained and everything. But even that was a pain in the ass. So I can't even imagine doing, you know, five piece drum set to California. So damn, I'm sorry you had such a nightmare of a Saturday, but I'm glad it's over with and I'm glad you got at least some money out of it. Definitely. And I'm also really glad that I now have only two drum sets. So it's not like taking <laughs> up like a million like square foot, square feet square feet yeah yeah okay yeah i don't know whatever dude what are your banner points let's keep this thing rolling let's keep rolling here i uh my just got one um because i want to kind of bounce off your second one because i know you have a it's a nice little connection there um but i actually ran the corporate challenge on thursday i don't know if uh that's a thing i'm pretty sure it's like nationwide do they, do they have that in boston or wherever you are Worcester? they probably do but i'm not familiar with it Okay. Well, they, uh, JP Morgan chase does the corporate challenge every year. Um, and it was a Thursday. It was sick. Uh, first time I ran an organized race in like four years, maybe, um, was told it was a 5k. Definitely. wasn't a 5k. It was definitely 3.55 miles. So I was super annoyed when my watch said 3.26 and we didn't see any finish line in front of us. So, you know, like everyone's like, Oh, it's only another quarter of a mile. I'm like, fuck you after three and a half, three and a quarter miles. Like that's, that's that's it's not like it's at the beginning it's at the end where you're shot like i didn't train for it i i, I just showed up and ran so so <laughs> i did it in uh 31 minutes and 27 seconds not my best but like i said i didn't train for it i didn't stop i ran i've ran twice in the past like three months because like my knees have just been shit so like i said i just showed up and ran and it was it was sick um, I had a blast with my, with Katie's coworkers. My company was there, but I couldn't find their table because there was like 900 tables there and like tents and everything. Um, and we literally showed up right as the like the first set of people were starting to run. So I literally just like showed up, jumped in, like, jumped in the, the group, and just ran. I didn't even stretch, didn't warm up, nothing. It was it was like the most ridiculous like situation ever most unprepared and ridiculous situation ever but hey i finished it it was fun um so i actually ran as katie because i never got my number or my tag or anything so like on the on the website it says katie otanic 3127 so everyone was very very impressed with katie's time they're like katie you did such a good job and she's like yeah i did not giving me any credit at all um just kidding but yeah so I'm looking to do more races. I, I I just want my knees to cooperate with me. I really do miss running. I love running. Um, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, running's the worst. But like when my knees are cooperating and like I can just go and do my thing, I truly do love running. But it's just like it's such a battle with my knees being assholes. So um, hoping that my knees can hold up and do some more races and maybe even for some longer distances. But yeah, I had a blast. That was pretty much the highlight of my week last week. Yeah, dude, that's honestly really awesome. I mean, I can definitely relate to the knee problem. Obviously I'm currently rehabbing from runner's knee and it's honestly such a bummer when it takes it away from me. Like I, I know you said like a lot of people are in shock when you say you kind of enjoy running but i'm in that same boat if i actually really like running and i really like the way my body responds to it you know as long as my knee is also cooperating too so it's just one of those things like i feel like you learn a lot about taking care of imbalances in your body making sure that everything's stretched out properly making sure that everything is you know warmed up properly you know those sorts of things go a long way when you're when you're prepping for running and um yeah, no, keep going, dude. That's sick. I want to run with you one day. We'll go. We'll do a 5K dude, together. We should just like, I know we keep talking about like all these times like in Boston. Like, I'm co definitely coming to, to Massachusetts this this summer at, at some point. I, I I don't know when it is or I, I don't, whatever, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to do a podcast together. We're going to run together. I'm going to make you bring me to some kind of ice rink and play hockey with you. I don't know if it's possible, but we just got to do everything in our power to make that possible because those three things right there will just like make my summer. So let's make that happen. I promise <laughs> we'll make that happen. That'll be really sick. Very, very Hell sick. Yeah. Cool. Honestly, I have another scheduling thing I want to talk to you about later in the podcast too. But um, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I really wanted to talk about was really quickly just want to bring up Father's Day. Really, really sick. Um, I just think it's cool that I bought my dad a power washer. Because, like, in my opinion, <laughs> top five 
all-time most dad gift you can ever buy. Like, it's up there with, like, I bought my dad a grill. I bought my dad sunglasses. I bought my dad Bose speakers for outside. And I bought my dad tickets to the Rolling Stones on their farewell tour that's probably still happening. Like, I genuinely (laughs) think it's, like, up there at that level. But, you know, we just hung out. We uh, went to the mill. Shout out to the mill in West Boylston restaurant. And uh, got to play some puck with him and my brother at night. So it was really, really sick. And I don't know. Did you uh, did you do anything? Did you see your dad at any point? Or Oh, yeah. every uh, It's kind of a nice little tradition that we've had uh, for the past three years um, with me and Katie, obviously, getting married and getting together and everything. It's like three. Like, it's been four years, but the first year we didn't do it. Um, but the first year we went, me, her, my dad and her dad went to a restaurant and then obviously the year after I was vegan. So we went to, I think I talked about it on the podcast before Amy's place. Um, it's a, it's a vegan restaurant that has a bunch of regular options for people too. So we've been doing, uh, that for two years now we just go go get breakfast uh, us for and that's been a blast and we, we we really appreciate that and so it's really nice to just you know go and spend some time together and eat some good food and hang out it's father's day i kind of feel like all holidays are just like super busy because we like to see you know her grandpa at the same time too so we did and we have to do normal stuff too so we went to breakfast hung out for a couple hours, you know, shot the shit, talked and everything. And then we had to go grocery shopping and then we had to go meal prep. And then after that all ended, we went to her grandparents' house and, you know, hung out with her family and her grandpa and all that kind of stuff too. So it was, it was a nice day. Um, it's still really, really busy. I feel like the, the Sundays are just getting so busy. Um, so to add father's day on top of that, I felt like I really didn't get to enjoy it as much as I wanted to, but at the same time I did, uh, you know, have a great time with them both on in, in the morning and had some really good food too. So can't complain too much, but can I just say that your, uh, your father's day gifts are like top notch. You've pretty much been winning father's day every year for the history of your father's day gifts. Oh, dude, those aren't my gifts. I just thought those would be like the all time oh. like, dad gifts. Dude, you should have just rolled with it because I'm like, you're like naming all this stuff. I'm like, I'm a terrible son. <laughs> no, no, dude, no. I just literally thought of the most like stereotypical dad gifts. I just thought it'd be perfect for dads. I just wanted to roll with them. I actually That's got amazing. the power washer, but the rest of them yeah. are just like, like, like just conversationally top five all times. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I really thought those were like past, past, uh, um, gifts that you got your dad. I was like, yo, this dude knows how to buy some father's day gifts. <laughs> actually, dude, honestly, really good segue into hockey. Six years ago for Father's Day, I bought my dad tickets to game three of the Stanley Cup finals versus uh, Bruins versus Blackhawks, and he Yo. freaked out. I used like all of my graduation money to do it, but he freaked out. That's that's amazing. That's so cool. Did you see the video of the 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 Boston dad and his daughter? His daughter bought him uh, Father's Day tickets to game seven, and he like lost his shit in the most like Boston way possible. No way. These are our seats. <laughs> like just the most like thickest Boston accent. You're just like, I couldn't help, but just smile and laugh. It was so good. Such good content. Yeah, dude, that was, a, that was a very, very good one. And at this point we have to now transition into game seven of the Stanley Cup finals, which I mean to a lot of listeners, it's probably going to be old news at this point, but we have to recap it being a hockey podcast. So, um, I kind of want to just start the conversation off by saying that, honestly, I thought it was a very enjoyable game. Um, definitely more so from a St. Louis Blues fan standpoint. But, I mean, honestly, it was a really fun game to watch. I mean, Boston, in my opinion, was, like, on fire those first 10 minutes. And without Jordan Bennington, I mean, I don't think yep. I don't think St. Louis is walking out of there with a victory. I was particularly sure they were going to score when Corrali had that first forehand shot bounce back to the D and then he got it on his backhand and Bennington had to go side to side. The fact that he got over it so easily and Corrali didn't get as much on it as I'm sure he would have liked to because it was on his backhand. I mean, dude, mm-hmm. we're talking about a totally different game at that point. Like this was a good hockey game. I, I genuinely want to stand by that. For sure. Good, good hockey game. I couldn't agree more. And it's great that you pointed that out because when you're watching that first period, especially the first, you know, 10 minutes, 
you know, 15 minutes even, like the way that the Bruins were buzzing around the ice and the energy in the crowd, they were fast. They were playing hard. They were playing smart. They were just like doing everything absolutely correct. And, you know, it's the, it's the story time and time again. Bennington kept him in that, you know, he gave him a chance. They get, he gave his team a chance to collect themselves and find a spark. And they did just that. And like, like you said, without Bennington, that, that game, dude, I don't know. They score one goal in that first period. It's a whole different game seven, a hundred percent. Oh, definitely. I mean, St. Louis is way, way, way more effective when they are holding a lead as opposed to trying to open their game up and try and score some goals. I mean, when they're when they're in front of you, they can play that strong defensive structure and then beat you up on the forecheck, which is exactly what they did. And I mean, again, they rely on Jordan Bennington, who honestly, cool as the other side of the pillow in game seven, rest in peace, Stuart Scott, absolute stud. Um, Two other saves that I thought were really, really impressive were um, in the first period, David Krejci came in on a, I think it was a one on, oh yeah, like he, he split everything he needed to literally came in on him. And then Bennington, absolutely like his legs were spread. Like he could have gone five hole and then Bennington got his stick down on Krejci. That was, that was unbelievable. And then the other one I wanted to talk about too, that Joachim Nordstrom save in the third period. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That, the flexibility to get over there, right? there. What's that? That was when he was like kind of one-on-one and he got a puck in the front and he tried to go um, on his on Bennington's right side and he just put his pad down there like that. Is that the one you're talking about? I think it was, I think it was strong side. I think it was, I think it was Bennington's right. So it was Joachim Nordstrom's yeah. left. He was on his forehand and he couldn't mm-hmm. even extend it. Like he couldn't, he couldn't lift that at all. And honestly, yeah, it was what, just yeah, you're, Bennington getting over it. It was so impressive. I mean, like, Joachim Nordstrom stuck behind the defense. He was alone. He kicked the yeah. puck forward to himself, and he was fully. Yeah, alone. that's what it was—the kick. That was a that was a, such a good like that. That would have been if he could have lifted that puck. That would have been a, a highlight goal for sure. But I mean, it turned in the other way. Like to to be able to kick yourself that puck in that tight quarters, you know, that high pressure. Um, that was that on both sides. Just to even have a shot and a chance there it was so sick. But for Bennington, Bennington to to answer and get over like that. Like you said, the, the flexibility on this kid was just insane to watch. He was so locked in and that was like the biggest, like the most fun thing to watch in this game. I mean, there, and there were so many points that you can, you can say where your, your most favorite part about the game, like, you know, David Perron in, in the, was it David Perron in the, the, the final seconds in the first, right? No, it was, it was, it was, it was um, Schwartz, Fed it back oh, to yeah. Angelo. I'm getting I'm getting game six and game seven mixed up. <laughs> it happens. There's a lot. There was a lot of hockey we just covered over the so last much two hockey, months, dude. So much hockey, but no, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy it to say it's over. It's actually like it's one of those things where I feel like I'm almost ready to start looking at next season and kind of put this playoffs to bed a little bit. But I mean, yeah. what a great year it was, and what a cool NHL season for us to actually pick up. And like start talking about for the first time, like honestly, this story, it's been talked about ad nauseum at this point, but you go from last place in January to Stanley Cup champions. Like who doesn't love that story? I mean, they caught fire, man. They caught actual fire and it's all on saves like Bennington had on Joakim Nordstrom that made me scream like a seven year old girl. Over and over and over again. I mean, passes by Sanford. That pass in, what was it, game five that he had to um, Ryan O'Reilly? Like, dude, just get out. Like, we just watched some insane hockey. The St. Louis Blues deserve absolutely everything they got. And there are so many different players to talk about why they got to where they were. And I think at this point, we absolutely have to open this up. And I'll let you start. Ryan O'Reilly, man. Dude. Just wow. That that performance, I mean, you have to go back. I know we talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. It's the quote of his career. 
but you have to go back to him cleaning out his locker in Buffalo last year saying, I've lost the love for hockey. And if he doesn't say that quote right there, maybe he doesn't get traded. And this is a completely different year. This is a completely different team because I don't know, man. I don't, I don't see this team without Ryan O'Reilly doing the exact same thing. Maybe, you know, maybe they do, but he was such a key point in this playoffs and especially in this, just the entire season that if he doesn't say that quote at the end of the season last year, he doesn't, doesn't get traded probably maybe, or, you know, maybe, but who, who knows, but let's just say he doesn't get traded. This team is a completely different team. Do they bounce back from the fighting in practice? Do they bounce back from being in last place in January? Who knows? I don't think they do. And for, for Ryan O'Reilly to, Perform the way he did in the playoffs. We we talked about him super heavily, um, and he was just constantly consistent. He contributed every single game, whether he's scoring or not. He's giving you one hundred fifty percent on the ice every single game, and it's one of those. He's one of those players that you cannot look away from, and he deserves every ounce of this Conn Smythe trophy that he, that he received. I know I saw a couple people saying, "Oh, Bennington got robbed," this and that. But I'm sorry. Yes, Bennington was a close runner-up. If Ryan O'Reilly isn't on this team and they do what they did, Bennington's getting every single bit of that trophy. But you you can't even possibly think that Ryan O'Reilly wasn't getting that con Smythe, um, especially after scoring in-game. You know, he scored the first goal. Like that kind of just sealed the deal. Like, I mean, in my mind, he he was just absolutely incredible to watch. I'm so thrilled for him. And I just, this leads right to my next little point here. Did you see how many times the Blues said fuck on national television? <laughs> like, that was. Was there an actual count? Was there a real I did. Count I, saw, I saw a video. I don't know how, you know, because they did finally pick up on it and they turned that microphone off because by the time that they finally figured out that they needed to turn the microphone off, it was like 12 or 13 times. Every single guy saying fucking right, fucking right, boys. Fuck yes. I mean, like it was incredible. I mean, when O'Reilly lifted the cup, he was just like so clear as day. Fucking right. <laughs> and it was like, I'm like, it made like, it's like the, the, the part about TV that like, obviously sucks, you know, when they have to censor that kind of stuff, you kind of lose the emotion. Obviously they can't be dropping F-bombs every three seconds when it's an all ages, you know, a, a televised thing. But at the same time, it's 2019, that word exists. It's always existed and it's just a hundred percent emotion. And I was so stoked when I was watching them, you know, pass around the, the cup. I was like, yo, they just do not care at all right now. He even like O'Reilly even swore in an interview on live TV and he, he did the most Canadian perfect thing on the planet and apologized like so like so just like oh my god i'm so sorry i'm just so amped up right now like i don't know if you saw that interview but i watched that interview like 20 times in a row because it just made me laugh so hard oh did you see that it got me too um i think i saw it on it was like hockey night in canada's instagram dude i was dying just because like their caption was perfect it was like Ryan O'Reilly swears on national television and has most Canadian response <laughs> to swearing on national television ever, ever or so, something oh like that. It's God. like so true. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Be- <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's, oh my gosh, I was dying. It's so good. And, and honestly, just kind of like really makes you, I, I mean, for me, I had this in my notes, like over the course of these playoffs, I fell in love with Ryan O'Reilly. He's like the exact kind of player I like. I mean, like I love two-way centers. I mean, that's why I like Patrice Bergeron so much too. It's why I like Jonathan Taves. It's like two-way centers that can actually still score are by far the most valuable players in the NHL. And it's just, it's so, so cool to watch them operate. And he is just on another level. I mean, like, We talked about this, I think, in a previous podcast, like the video of all the training he does. And it is so impressive to like watch like mind and physical training occurring at the same time. Like how hard must that be? Like what he puts himself through? He's probably already working for next year. Like he's probably so fired up. 
it, like it, honestly, he's maybe got one or two more days of party in him, and then he's gonna be yep. straight in the zone. I was gonna say they're definitely in Vegas having the time of their lives right now. Um, because I did see that they went to Vegas like four days before the NHL awards, and everyone was like, Oh my god, that city's gonna be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I, it honestly is. I, I feel like I've I've already heard some stories from it as well. It's it's pretty wild, but honestly. Congratulations! They deserve, they deserve it. it. It's so cool. We, I think, I think we can finally make our way over to talking about a, a few. Uh, I mean, I know we both wanted to talk about Marshawn a little bit, um, especially with that terrible, absolutely terrible, maybe the worst change with seven seconds in the first period. Uh, you know, to let Petriangelo walk in and dangle top corner backhand like that was. That that goal was the deciding factor, in my 100% honest opinion. Obviously, when you're trailing by one, it's a close game. You know, it, even clo- trailing by two, you're not out of it. But it, to to be down by two in that fashion, to to give up a late one, going into the second, you know, when you're when you're preparing for this, the intermission, down one goal your mindset's completely different. And then all of a sudden you're like, so you're prepared for that. You're like, okay, we're going to go in there. We're going to figure out what we got to do. We're going to fight back and we're going to figure out how to tie this game up. Oh wait. Oh no. We're down by two goals. Like that's, that's huge. And I, I really truly think that that really, you know, put the dagger in. I mean, obviously they, they, they had a lot of game to, to come back from two goals. It's not, but at the same time, I feel like it was just like a defeating second goal right there to have that happen. So what, what do you think was going through Marshawn's head when he changed there? Honestly, first off, I just want to say you absolutely stole so many words out of my mouth when you were going through that. I mean, (laughs) I feel the exact same way. I mean, the change was really, really bad. I think it's honestly one of those things where Marshawn had been out for a very long time on that shift. And he's just, He's beyond the point of thinking logically at that point. I mean, if you're out there in an NHL Stanley Cup final shift for anything over a minute, you are exhausted, man, especially to end a period like that when you've been going all first period and there's so much energy involved in the first period of Game 7 Stanley Cup final. Honestly, it was just one of those things. He probably wasn't getting enough oxygen, oxygen to the head and didn't plan his change properly, made a very lackluster attempt at a check, and then just got off, not realizing there's seven seconds left, and you have defensemen jumping up in the play. I mean, Petrangelo did a great job on that finish. I mean, the way that he went top corner there, that was truly a work of art and shows how offensively capable Alex Petrangelo is. But there's no excuse for it. I think a lot of people will point to that play as being the play. And honestly, for good reason. I mean, you kind of went into this a little bit, but the idea of being down one going into the second period, I mean, being the home team, like you can figure that out. Going down two and getting a goal scored on you in that last minute of play, it just, it, it's really, really deflating. And I mean, by the time the third goal happened, it wasn't until the third period. And, and I mean, honestly, Tuka Rask really held them in there in the second and the first half of the third period as well. I mean, like I know a lot of people want to point to him and say, you know, two two goals on four shots. It's like sometimes it's really hard for a goalie to get in the game when your team is on the other side of the ice the entire time and that other goalie is feeling the puck while you on like your second shot have to deal with a Jay Bomeister um, shot from the point and then Ryan O'Reilly changes its direction. I mean, yeah. Like, it's not easy for a goalie to be able to do that. And, I mean, I know I'm, like, a Tuca defender, and I always will be a Tuca defender, but, like, for anyone to be blaming him for the loss, I mean, I would look at that Marshawn play way more than I would look at anything Tuca Rask did in that game. And beyond that, you aren't there without Tuca Rask either, which is another point that I I wouldn't feel comfortable closing this season out without really making clear. I, I couldn't agree more, man. Absolutely. I, I can't even think... I can't imagine people. I know. I know they are because that's just how people are. But I can't imagine being like, "Yeah, this is Tuca's fault." Like, I'm sorry, but like when you got your when you got one of your top top guys, I don't want to say, I, I you know, he quit on the play. He, whether he was out for a long time or not, you know, you got to be, you got to keep your body even even if you're just a body. You know, don't don't leave the play. That 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 just 
decided that for me, honestly. If 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 you're looking at it as a deciding factor there, he him leaving that play, bad, bad opportunity, uh, you know, bad uh, what am I trying to say? Um attempt at a, a check, took himself out of position, and he just quit and he and he went to the bench. You just keep your body in there, maybe. You know, maybe he doesn't get that shot off. Maybe he doesn't get close to the net. I don't. I don't know. You can, you can't take away what Tukaras did this this postseason, like you said. Without him there, they aren't there. It's the same way with St. Louis. I, I definitely think um, with all the positives across the lineup, across the board, um, you have to dial into the goaltending both sides. If their goaltenders aren't their goaltenders, you probably have a completely different uh, Stanley Cup final. So definitely a hats off to Tuka. Um, and that's you know I I feel like I, I I've been pumping his brakes this this whole uh, this whole playoff run here and I can't I can't take it anything away from him it's it's just one of those things you can't you can't look past man it it's, it was incredible what he did for sure yeah I completely agree it's just one of those things but at the end of the day the St Louis Blues obviously get to hoist the Stanley Cup and they certainly deserved it and you know this podcast and my bracket. Just really, really appreciated yeah, that it happened. That was, it's like the coolest thing. Like, obviously, my bracket was dead after the first day. Oh, um, they all were. They all were. Of, of, of course. But, like, to be able to say that you, my friend, called the Blues winning the Stanley Cup at the beginning of this whole thing, hey, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride that. That's sick. That's that's really really cool. Because I doubt I don't I don't know I don't I don't know how many people saw that happening. Probably not a lot, honestly. Um, especially with what Tampa did this season, I, I'm sure everybody had a, a majority of people had Tampa going all the way, or maybe the Sharks or whatever. But to say you had it from the beginning is so sick. And I uh, I don't know. I, I found a, a lot of enjoyment through this whole playoffs here. Kind of just rooting for you with that. But one more point here I wanted to make about this before maybe maybe we wrapped up with, uh, with a little question here. Uh, but we talked so much throughout the playoffs, you know, with either game-deciding calls or game-changing plays, um, you know, bad calls with the, with the refs or this or that. Um, but in Game 7, I just think the, the Blues outworked the Bees, and I, you can't argue it. If you, can't, you can't say, you know, if you're a Bees fan, you can't really uh, deny that. They, they grinded, especially when they were getting outplayed in the, the first half of that first period. Um, they stuck through it. You know, Bennington obviously did what he had to do to, to – shift the momentum and when the, sh- the momentum shifted uh the blues just played a great game it was a, one of those games where you were able to thoroughly enjoy it the entire time without having like a crap that was a terrible call i can't wait to hear everyone's gonna be bitching about this for forever it was just it was great hockey they let them play no dirty no no dirty play no bad calls it was just uh you know 60 minutes of really good hockey so i just wanted to 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 put that out there, um, kind of like a breath of fresh air. You know, we had a lot of a lot of games, a lot of calls where you had an uproar from someone, um, and the fact that we didn't have to worry about that in Game Seven, I appreciated it very much. But my last point here, last question, just to wrap this up here with you, buddy. Uh, if you could pick one of your favorite moments of this series, not the whole playoffs, because that's a little bit too much to you know dial in here. But what was your favorite moment um, in this Cup Final here? You know what my favorite moment was? And I think it's more just because I really, really liked the play. Hands down, it's when um, Sanford went, I think it was, did we just talk about it even? Was it game five or game? Yeah, I think it was game five. Um, Sanford goes behind the net and between the leg backhand pass out to Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly oh, yeah. curls his wrists. And then goes top corner down on Tukarask. I think that was his first of two goals that game, including the game winner. That was my favorite moment. Just because it was just so in tight and impressive and just so cool at the same time. Like that that moment was really, really, really sick. I mean, other than that, I would say the other coolest moment is probably when um, Zdeno Chara gets announced with that jaw. I mean, when he played... That was nuts too. Those are those are my top two probably hockey moment and non hockey moments for the series. What about you, dude? I I don't know. I don't know if I can really nail down 
a specific one. As I was asking you this in my brain, my brain started like churning and I was like, I probably should have, you know, planned to answer this if you asked it back to me. Um, so I might just piggyback off of your Chara because that was as much as me and you kind of made a big stink about it, especially with, um, you know, wondering if he was going to be able to communicate with his teammates or make simple plays and everything. That was the epitome of a hockey, a hockey player doing what he's got to do. How many times you look across the, uh, these sports and either the NBA or soccer or football or baseball, whatever the hell, whatever sport you're, you're watching and you see these players going down with injuries and you're just like, dude, if, if you're watching hockey, you're not, you're not even, unless this person seriously can't walk or, you know, breathe on their own because of, you know, whatever situation they're getting out there. Did you see the list of how many injuries the Bruins had after the playoffs were done? It was insane. Uh, we, yeah. Absolutely. We should have, we should have absolutely uh, broke that down. Um, I don't have it at my leisure right now, so it's, I don't, I don't want to butcher it, but I know pretty much every player on that team was going through something or, you know, pasta re-injured his thumb. I remember we were talking about that the whole time, um, wondering like, oh, I can't wait to, I can't wait until that gets released. There were the list of injuries. It had to have been at least 10 or 11 guys. So, I mean, I, I don't know if St. Louis had the same deal. I didn't see a list come out from them. I don't, I don't want to say that having that list kind of surface was, oh, this is the excuse of why the Bruins didn't win the Stanley Cup. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what the point of that was because it wasn't a secret that they had some injuries and they had some serious ones, but these players were just playing through it. And that's what hockey is, man. It's, it is giving your absolute all no matter what. And you gotta, you gotta just love that sacrifice your body for your team and your brothers. And your. it's just, I, I love hockey so much. It made me appreciate that Bruins team for what they were as much as that pains me to say. Um, but, yeah, man, I just I had a blast this whole Stanley Cup final. Every single game was a blast. Every single play where just I feel like I feel like I was just so glued to it the whole time that I just can't I can't really pick one. I I'm, I just I had a blast, dude. Dude, I did too. You definitely nailed it. It's it was a great season. Really, really stoked we got to do it. Really, really stoked we got to see it. Congratulations to St. Louis Blues. But honestly. It's time to start talking about, in our hot fire round, the 2019-2020 season. So, dude, isn't that crazy that we yeah. can already do that? Like, we can literally just already do that. Um, hell yeah. I, I would say first thing we should talk about, just real quick, and, and we're just going to, like I said, hot fire these, not spend too much time on it, because uh, obviously uh, we want to. We don't want to be too short on time here, but the draft's coming up Friday. Oh, yeah. Literally Friday, Jesus. the draft's coming up. What? Isn't that nuts how quick that happens? <clears throat> That came up so fast. I think that it's going to be a really, really interesting draft. I mean, obviously, again, Jack Hughes leads the way um, on one. And I think next week we'll probably dive into, obviously, after the pick occurs, what was more, what was the right call, wrong call, whatever you want to say. But, I mean, Jack Hughes has to be one, right? And then Capocacco, too. Like, to me, like when in doubt, you have to draft the North American player just because you're playing in North America in a more North American style. But Kako looked insane too. It, it's going to be such an interesting draft. That's that's really all I wanted to say out of this. Absolutely, it's going to be one of those like you think you know what's going to happen, and then like there's a possibility that you know all of a sudden New Jersey just throws a complete I don't know horseshoe and again just be like oh no we're gonna do this instead and i don't know i might like i i talk about my, my cousin brian all the time he is counting down the seconds until cap cap caco cap capo caco or capo caco capo caco i forgot boom nailed it <laughs> he he's counting down the seconds every single day on his instagram he's got a like a timer uh and uh videos and stuff so he he's expecting caco season and i don't know i i if if, if it goes, I don't think there's a loss here. We talked about that a lot. And I know next week we're really going to dive into the picks and how everything plays out. But either pick is going to be sick. And I'm really excited to see uh, see what happens. 
But I think we should just start firing down here, buddy. I, I think we got to start with a big one that happened today, actually, on Monday. Um, this was this is probably your biggest free agent name that was going to hit the market. Um, and that is Eric Carlson. He signed an eight-year extension with the Sharks. Um, locked him in, and they're really trusting the process with him. You know, we hope he can stay healthy for a whole season to really see what this kid can do with the elite lineup that the Sharks do have. Um, he's just been, you know, bothered by his ankle. He's, I just, I really, really hope we can sit here and go come in the next season and see a healthy Carlson and see, you know, the, the production that we know this dude can have. So I, I think the Sharks would have been silly to let him go, um, you know, locking him in for eight, eight years. That's, that's huge, man. So we hope that he can stay healthy throughout the, the, the contract and especially, you know, just get this, get these sharks to Stanley cup. Any thoughts definitely. on that one? Definitely. I mean, I, they definitely paid the price for him. Uh, I read the contract is going to be North of a mil- 11 million AAV, which is, I mean, a very, very steep price, but I mean, he's obviously one of the best defensemen in the game. Definitely really happy for him. I hope he can find his health and, you know, win the cup that San Jose desperately deserves, I think, at this point. Everyone's still kind of on the San Jose train, I think, a little bit. And, you know, good on him for getting paid. These guys deserve the money that they get. I mean, especially when you look at other athletes and other sports and how much less some NHL superstars get in comparison. So really, really for happy sure. for him. I, I hope that... uh hope that the contract lives up to everything it's supposed to be for San Jose Sharks fans because how could you not think it will at this point the the player's just been phenomenal absolutely um so the next thing we wanted to talk about just briefly um Dion Phaneuf was the first victim of a buyout and uh honestly this kind of makes sense Los Angeles really has to do a major overhaul at this point I mean they're by far the oldest team in the league and Dion Phaneuf was not making them any younger. It was kind of be to be expected, but you know it's just one of many shoes to drop. I think. Um, did did you notice that one? Did you see that one? Did you have any thoughts on it? I actually missed that completely somehow. So you're gonna have to definitely dive into this as much as you can. Um, I know I did. The only thing I did see was someone. I don't know if it was a meme page or what, but someone's like, "Should Toronto resign Dion Phaneuf?" And that's literally the only thing I saw. That's the most Toronto headline I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. Honestly, no, it's 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 fine. I mean, there really isn't much more to say other than it occurred. And Los Angeles Kings are looking to create some level of cap space, even though they're going to get hit on Dion Finesse can't contract in other ways. Um, I don't know. We'll just see what happens. I, I think the NHL is better when the Kings are good. So I think everyone's kind of hoping for a bounce back from them for sure. For sure. It's been too long since they've been relevant. Um, and it's funny because when they were doing really well, I was kind of like better. I always kind of find myself a little bitter when these you know newer teams, I don't want to say newer teams, I, Kings aren't that new, but they've never really experienced a ton of like heartbreak, you know, with, with Vegas last year, like two years, like, I, I don't know. I feel like, I, I feel like they've definitely been, you know, going through their trials now. Um, and it's definitely time for them to be on the up and up. So definitely look up, looking uh, forward to see that. Hopefully that can happen. Um, and we'll have to end up seeing where uh, Dion Phaneuf lands there because he's been a he's been a pretty good name for a while, but I don't think he, he just fit very well in, with the Kings. So moving on here, um, another West Coast team here. Hey, D- Dallas Eakins has been hired as the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. I know we talked pretty highly last year um, about heavily about the mess that was going on in the head coaching position in, in Anaheim. Um, and this is, I think this is just a really, really good move and a good step in the, the right direction for the, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, he coached the Ducks AHL affiliate in San Diego for the past four seasons, posted a 154, 95, and 23 record, sent them to the Calder Cup playoffs three times. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of, Something to look forward to. It's something to look into a little more uh, as, as the season starts and the preseason and everything kind of comes in together, see how he's working with the team and how the players react to him. Um, but honestly, from what 
they went through last year with their coaching problems and the intermits and all that. We didn't even know if they had a coach at some point. Like it was, it was a mess last season. So this is huge for the Ducks. Um, and this is another, this is another team you just kind of hope for the best. Hope to hope they can become a relevant force again. Um, they got too much talent on that team to to really uh, just you know not capitalize with it. So we'll look we'll look to see how that that move works out for them too. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think um, the writing was kind of on the wall for this one. So to see it happen is no surprise there. Um, one other thing, this is just a quick note. Next year's schedule comes out on June 25th. So a week from the day of our release of this episode, which is so awesome. Matt, I want to plan trips. Like we got to figure out like when the Capitals are playing, where they're playing. I want to figure out when the Leafs are in Buffalo, when Buffalo Yo. is in Toronto, when Buffalo is in Boston, like we got to look at all that. We got to look at literally all of that. I think that just fired me up so much that right? I wish it was hockey season. Like, like right? I didn't even think about that because I mean, when we started this, we were on the like the the end half of the season, um, and obviously it, it it might still be like hard to make all that happen. But if we plan ahead far enough to really, you know plan something out and make it happen. I, I it absolutely will happen. I I've only seen the Capitals play in Buffalo. So I would love to see them play somewhere else where regardless, but I would also dude, I, I hate Buffalo Toronto games, but <laughs> like that's, I told, I told you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I went, this one. Yeah. We, we talked about this. Like if you come to Buffalo for a Toronto Buffalo game, you're going to leave a completely different person. It is. <laughs> I, it's just I'm not even exaggerating. It's like especially because you're a Leafs fan, like it's going to be one of those things where it's just a whole different experience of hockey for you. So I think that has to happen this year for sure. Yeah, I'm just I just want to see which which games are on Saturdays. Like if uh, the Leafs yeah. play in Buffalo on a Saturday, dude. Another really sick thing if the Capitals play in Toronto on a Saturday. Now we're dude, talking. That would be really that'd sick. Be so so sick. I'd be so into it. We, we'll, 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 we'll talk about this off. We'll, yeah, yeah. Fuck, absolutely. That's, that's going to be coming next week and that's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to see that. That's crazy. That's already next week. Um, but moving on, I got two little points here. I'll just kind of combine them um, because they kind of go hand in hand. Um, they're both, you know, talking about the capitals. Obviously I was pretty locked in on these two, two moves here. Carl Hagelin signed with the capitals uh, four years, 11 million. I'm happy about it. Um, I've always loved Hag Hags. And I like what I did. I did like what I saw with him in the short time with the Capitals, you know, at the end of the trade deadline um, and the playoffs and everything. I, I love his speed. I love, you know, his hands. I, I think if he can find a consistent stride, like, like how he did in New York, um, if he can find that style of play and that stride of play with the Capitals for the years to come, I think that'll be a really, really good pickup for the, for the Capitals and, and be a good piece to the, them getting another cup. So I'm very happy with that one. On the other hand here, Matt Niskanen uh, is on the move to the Flyers for Radko Gudis. And I am not thrilled about this one as a Cavs fan, as a hockey fan. Um, I'm, I don't care if I get heat for this. I think it's warranted. I don't respect Gudis as a player at all. I think he's a dirty little Little dirty hockey player, and I don't think I don't like the way he plays the game at all. And to already have a heavy hitting, you know, controversial, disciplined uh, Tom Wilson on your team, adding Gudas Gudas to the lineup doesn't seem like a smart move, uh, especially when it comes to discipline. So, you know, I I could be sitting here talking about this, and it might end up being one of the, of the greatest moves on the planet. I don't see that happening, but at the same time, I just hope that he comes to this team with uh, an attitude of, Hey, maybe this is my chance to, you know, change the way I play or this or that. I don't, I don't know who knows, but at the same time, like when I saw this, I think I texted you. I was like, why, why is this a thing? I've, I've always loved Niskanen. Um, but you know, I wish him the best. Obviously Philly's making some huge moves. They're trying to become relevant and they're trying to be a, a force back in, uh, like they were before. So, um, I don't know. I, I wish Niskanen the best. I guess we're going to have to see how Gudis fits in Washington, but it's definitely going to be an interesting one. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think um, we talked about this off the podcast a lot. It's Radko Gudis is a depth defenseman, and I think really 
looking at this is probably more of a Flyers thing than it is a Capitals thing for me. Um, just because I think the Capitals are trying to show, hey, we're open for business. We're ready to trade. We're ready to make pieces. We want to get more mobile because to me, Matt Niskanen, when he was at his best, and I mean, granted, his best was probably six or seven years ago at this point, but he is pretty strong for a puck moving defenseman to me. Like I don't, I definitely wouldn't put him at the top of my list for a puck moving defenseman, but I think that that is probably closer to where his game is when he's at the top of his game. And I think the flyers are just taking a flyer here, no pun intended, trying to see if they can get that version of Matt Niskanen back and unloading Radko Gudis, a player that I think can be really useful if he plays within the right lines, but to this point hasn't really showed that he's been able to do so. Um, but that being said, I, I feel like I've had conversations with Flyers fans that are like, he's a good defenseman. Like, he is a good physical defenseman. It's just a matter of making sure that he can do it in a way that won't be detrimental to his team. For sure. Like, like, and that's the thing. That's the thing about him is, I mean, if he can come to Washington and and kind of adjust his gameplay to the way the Washington the Capitals play, it might end up being a good a good uh, a move here. But we're definitely just gonna have to see. And you definitely nailed it with Niskanen, um, with him not being like on the top of your list, him kind of being playing out of his prime, but he can still move the puck, and he's still, I think, he's still a, a key guy that you can have on your team. So. It might it might be beneficial for both teams. We're just gonna have to see. Yep, I completely agree. Um, so yeah, thanks so much everyone for listening to the old time hockey podcast. We really appreciated you having you guys aboard. And uh, you know, Matt, thanks for doing what you do. And this was fun. Absolutely, I can't believe that uh, you know this is the last last podcast of the 2019 season. Um, that is crazy to say i'm so glad that this playoffs is over even though it's kind of bittersweet but like we talked about I'm very excited to start diving into next season the draft coming up lots of cool stuff obviously it's just going to be we're going to play it by ear every single week and we're just going to keep rolling so i'm very excited for all that lots of cool stuff um like always thank you so much for listening follow us on instagram and twitter subscribe on itunes and follow on spotify and we'll see you next week hope everyone has an awesome day